Hello, welcome to North Coast Calvary Chapel's audio podcast. Good morning, people of God. Welcome. Take a seat. I want to welcome everybody who's new. No matter where you're coming from spiritually, dragged here by a friend, cajoled, bribed, manipulated, guilt tripped, whatever. You're here. We're so glad you're here. We hope you feel loved and welcomed. So let's start with the message. Um, This passage that Kelly was just reading to us pictures for us what it looks like when God's kingdom breaks through to our world and God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. This is what it looks like right here. And what's so beautiful about it is that when God shows up, we get more than just a really exciting religious service. We get more than a great day at church. Fundamentally, the way that we as human beings connect and experience each other in our world is changed. So let's just unpack that scene that we just listened to together. So one, when God breaks through, we see a change in the way we as human beings interact on a holistic level. We see a change in the way we relate to each other spiritually, the way that we relate to each other interpersonally, and the way that we relate to each other practically, the way that we use our resources to bless, encourage, and care, and love one another. And that's so cool. It's spiritual, it's relational, but it's also profoundly practical. We, we also see this incredible experience of belonging that happens when God is moving in powerful ways among people. It, he creates an incredible sense of belonging and interconnectedness, a solidarity that is so much more powerful than simply a solidarity based on agreement around political ideology, shared ethnicity or culture. Something, those things have their place, but something even deeper than the fact that, oh, we all like to skate or we all like to surf or whatever profound inner, inner um, human being interconnectedness. We see this incredible experience of shared awe and amazement, that childlike wonder is returned to us, that crusty old jaded cynicism is brushed away like dust off the shelf, and there's this fresh shine of childlike wonder. And you see that in this story. You also see there's learning. They're learning. They're listening to teaching that's, that's growing their minds, growing their lives. We see salvation people having spiritual revolution. We see miraculous signs and wonders leaping off the pages of fairy tale novels and showing up in our everyday life. That's what it looks like when God is moving in our midst. Who would like a little bit of some, some of that in their marriage, in their home right now? Who would like a little bit of that in their life? Come on now. Yeah, come on. Isn't that so good? What's so cool about this is that when God shows up, he's not just giving us this amazing kind of religious service. He's giving us an experience of humanity and life that is something beyond anything we can achieve for ourselves. If you think about all the work that we do through politics, education, technology, God in this moment does something that none of those things alone can do. And that's bringing us to what this message is about this morning. Throughout history, Men and women from ancient times have called these seasons and moments of breakthrough, they've called them by a name. They've called them revival. 
And we're going to talk about this idea of revival because it is a profoundly significant concept for us as followers of Jesus, but also for the sake of the world, okay? So look at the Bible. Psalm 85 says this about revival. It says, will you not revive us again? That's the psalmist praying that your people may rejoice in you. And all throughout the Bible, we see this idea of revive me, God, revive us, showing up throughout the Psalms, the Pentateuch, Proverbs, the prophets. This idea of revival is not a Western church construct. It's not a Calvary Chapel idea. It's not an evangelical idea. Oh, certainly all these different groups can put their own sort of flavor on it. This idea of God reviving our lives and our world is essentially fundamentally a biblical idea that is coming from the very nature of God and his heart towards you. Let's know what Tim Keller says about revival. Look at this quote. Tim Keller, pastor, writer, if you're not familiar with him, he's going to be our little guide this morning. I have a few quotes throughout the message from him. Listen to what he says here. So revival is not a historical curiosity. It is a consistent pattern of how the Holy Spirit works in a community to arrest and counteract, I love this, the default mode of the human heart. We all have a default mode. Now, we'll talk about that, but I want to focus you on that line, right? that phrase, consistent pattern. What that means is when we talk about revival, we're talking about something that God has done over and over again throughout history. It's just a natural part of how God works in our human lives, how he comes into our life and he counteracts the trend of our human default to places of spiritual dryness, unbelief, tension, distance from God, and he counteracts that. And so we're going to look at this biblical definition of revival this morning. Last week, we talked about why revival, but this morning, we're going to talk about what is it, and what do we mean when we use this word? And I want to give us a definition that will help us have some common ground together as we talk about this. So um, I believe that a biblical definition of revival has four essential elements that we need to cover. So let's go to the definition right here. We're going to walk through this together this morning, but let's start at the top and let's read it out loud together so we're really just kind of getting it. Ready? A season of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power that ushers in a new normal of kingdom experience and fruitfulness. We're going to take it line by line. We're going to start with the first, a season of breakthroughs. Why is this an important metaphor as we understand this amazing work of God? in our life. So when you think of the word season, it's hard for us here in Southern California, so I need to unpack it and define it because in Southern California, we're, the idea of a season is lost on us. It is like always summer here, right? And if it's not summer, we all throw a bit of a fit. So I was talking to this, let me define it real quick for us, for those who don't know what a season is. I, I, I define, I'm going to define it this way. Seasons are extended periods of time with intensified distinctive features. Extended periods of time with intensified distinctive features. Think of like winter, right? In the winter here in Southern California, you might have a warm day, right? But in the summer, you're going to have an extended period of warm days. Are you with me? That's the extended part. You're going to have many warm days. In uh, the summer, you might have a cold day. But in the winter, you're going to have really intense cold days. There's this guy this morning from Minnesota, and I asked him, how cold is it? He's like 13 below zero right now in Minnesota. I go, how cold can it get in Minnesota? 45 below zero. Really intense. 
So extended periods of time and intensity, what does that mean about revival? Well, revivals are extended periods of time when spiritual momentum is built. They are seasons of intense activity of the Holy Spirit. Again, I want to go to Tim Keller because he also agrees with this. And listen to his quote right here. He says, all revivals are seasons in which the ordinary operation of the Holy Spirit are intensified manifold. Now, that's what you see in Acts, that story we just read in Acts 2. This moment was more than a moment. It was a moment that actually was the beginning of a season of breakthroughs. The book of Acts covers 38 years of God breaking through all throughout the Roman Empire. And that season changed the world forever. Okay, so I want to also unpack this idea of breakthrough, seasons of breakthrough. Why breakthrough? Because breakthrough kind of communicates radical change. When God shows up, when the Holy Spirit and his work is intensified, there's going to be profound change. And that's important to understand because as human beings, we, are, we, we, we naturally resist change. There's like this immune system in us that wants to resist radical change. We get comfortable with the status quo. We get comfortable with the way things are. And breakthrough represents deep change, not just in our behavior, not just in our, the way we talk, but in our very nature at the level of our desires. Now that's change. Changing us at the level that goes past what we were used to as kids, what we've been taught to do as adults, changing us at our most fundamental level. I want to break even that word breakthrough down. When we think of breaking something, why? Why use that word? Because when the Holy Spirit is working in our life, there's going to be old habits that are going to have to break. Old ways of seeing God, old ways of thinking, old ways of talking, old ways of expecting God have to break and make way for something new. Because if something new is going to come, the old has to break. Jesus talked about this. Do you remember that? He talked about wineskins. Do you remember that? Do you remember that? He said, okay, if you've got an old wineskin and you put new wine in an old wineskin, what happens to that wineskin? It's going to burst. Why? Let's just go into it for a second. Because that old, brittle, rigid leather isn't going to be able to handle the expanding, fermenting liquid inside of it. And so it's going to tear and burst. It needs fresh wineskin that can stretch and grow and expand with that new wine. And our lives are like that. When the Holy Spirit is working intensely in our life, there are going to be old habits, old ways of thinking, old ways of experiencing and knowing and understanding God that have to break and make way for the bigger vision, a bigger understanding, a new way of relating to God. Not new to scripture, but new to our experience. You tracking that? And when we talk about breaking, we're talking about times where there's going to be repenting. There's going to be confession of sin. There's going to be change. All right. Let's go to the next one. The next line, let's go to the next division right here. Seasons of breakthroughs in word, deed, and power. So when the Spirit of God is breaking through, what can we expect it to look like? What can we expect to happen? This line right here helps us. And to dig into this, we're going to go back to Acts chapter 2, the passage that Kelly read. 
I want to break them down each one at a time. Let's talk about the word. When the gospel is being expressed in times of revival, God's going to communicate himself through his word. Let's read verse 42 from Acts. Let's look at how we see it here. They devoted themselves to the apostles. Next one? Yeah. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, right there, and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. Revivals are periods in which the Word of God comes alive and speaks to us in a way that it hasn't been reaching us before. It's not that the Word has changed, but our receptivity to it has changed. There's an openness to God's Word. I was raised nominally Catholic. I was raised going to to church only on the holidays. But when my best friend started opening this book and said, hey, look at this story from Jesus's life with me. The word of God was coming alive to me, was speaking to me, was piercing through the armor of my unbelief, the armor of my self-protectionism. It was getting through to those tender places of my life and changing the way that I understood what it meant to be in relationship with God. So in times of revival, God expresses himself through the teaching, the preaching, and the simple talking and study of God's word. Okay? But more than that, it starts with God's word, but it doesn't end there. Look at this next one. Indeed. Indeed. God, the gospel expresses itself indeed. Verse 44, all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So it's not just a bunch of talking. When the Spirit of God is breaking through, there's an energy, a power, like a motivation, a willingness that fills us to actually live out and act on what we're learning and hearing from God. We begin to act out in way, acts of compassion, kindness, generosity, and justice. And if you study the history of revivals, you've seen some of the most powerful movements of justice in our country were, on, were fueled and energized by revival seasons. Second Great Awakening, Charles Finney, talked about the need for us as Christians to engage the issue of slavery and racism in our country. And what he talked about, what the energy to address racism in our country that was fueled out of the Second Great Awakening had a powerful effect on our country for many years to come. So when you get to Billy Graham, fast forward to Billy Graham. Billy Graham is doing crusades in the South, and he, they're segregated. Blacks over here, whites over here, segregated crusades. Because Christians were still believing that following Jesus should have no bearing on the way we relate to each other across ethnic and cultural lines. It should just, let's just keep religion out of that. But in times of revival, the people of God begin to act and care in ways that reflect the kingdom of God. And so what did Billy Graham do? He went up into the stadium, tore down the physical barrier, and invited the people to begin to intermix in the stadium. Those are seasons of revival. So in our deeds, but also in power. Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and science performed by the apostles. So in supernatural ways, that human effort and ingenuity alone can accomplish, the Spirit of God moves. God moves in miracles, just like we see in Jesus' life, those miracles that he was doing. The people who follow Jesus are people who express God's love through his power. And so when people hung out with Christians, they expected miracles. 
because that's a part of who God is. He's miraculous. Is, is God miraculous? And so when you're with the people of God, there's an expectancy that miracles are going to happen because God communicates and expresses himself through acts that are filled with his supernatural power. Now, if we put it all together, go to the next slide. If we put it all together, word, deed, and power, all for the purpose of expressing God's love. God wants to express himself to you and to our world through his words. I love you. And that's this right here, a love letter from God to the world. I love you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that all who believe in him shall not perish. But it's not just in word. God's like, don't just be a talker, be a doer. And so he empowers his people to express his love through their deeds, their kindness, and their generosity and empower through signs and miracles and healing. And the signs and the miracles are not for the purpose to dazzle us, to entertain us, to be a, a, a moment of curiosity, but to communicate and reveal the power of God's love. And when they all intersect, wow, those are seasons of revival. See, because see, churches sometimes like to pick or choose. We kind of pick and choose, and this is the default of us as human beings. This is so important, I'm gonna really slow down on this point. As human beings, because we're finite, we always want to settle for one little piece of God because the whole picture can be overwhelming. So we settle for the word part. We settle for maybe the power, but maybe not the word. Or maybe we go for the deeds. Oh, you know, God, we got to show people God loves them. But don't worry about what the word says about judgment, about sin. That's ah, a little weird. So let's just leave that out and just be loving people and not talk about the word of God. Or maybe it's like, oh man, I love God's power. I love the idea of God doing miracles, but I don't know if I really want to get too close to the poor. I don't know if I want to use my resources sacrificially to express God's love to others. So let me ask you a question here. Was Jesus a healer and a miracle worker, a preacher of God's word, or a lover of the poor? Which one was he? Now, the challenge for us is we kind of pull and quarter Jesus. We pick one. And when we do that, you know what pulling and quartering is? Where they tie someone up to horses, their arms and their legs? The church has pulled and quartered Jesus. I'll take his power. I'll take his arm, his right arm. Oh, but I love the word. I'll take his head. I know it's grotesque. I like his, I like, I love his deeds of compassion. He's so loving. I'm going to take his legs. And we have taken the part that we are comfortable with based on our temperament, our personality, or our Christian tradition. And we villainize the other aspects of Jesus's character. We go, oh no, you power people, you're so charismatic and weird and you don't care about the word. It's all about the word. But was Jesus a preacher of the word or was he a miracle worker? He was both. Times of revival are when the people of God open up to the wholeness of who God is and these are integrated. And man, when the love of God is being revealed through all of these you guys, it's so powerful. I'm going to share a story in a minute. Listen to 1 Corinthians 13. 
and if I have prophetic powers and I understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to move mountains, then I'm good to go. <laughs> no, it's not what Paul says. This is so important. Look at what he says here. If I have that kind of power, that kind of faith, but I have not love, I am nothing. If the way I study the word and talk about it is not empowering me to be more radically loving to a wider diversity of people throughout the course of my life, I am accomplishing nothing. All right. Let's go on to the next one. Next definition, next part of our definition. That was heavy stuff, but we're gonna, it's going to even get better. Look at this. That ushers in a new normal. So these seasons of breakthrough and word, deed, and power are not just meant to be flashes in the pan. When we think of revival, sometimes we think of a big event, a big stadium filled with people. We think of a really cool moment that's exciting and emotional. And some of us like that. Some of us don't like that. But the point is, that's not revival. True revivals leave us with new levels of expectancy and faith for who God is and what he can do. They create a new normal, a new tide level of what we expect about who God is and what he can do. Look at, let's go back to the Acts passage that we read, okay? Let's apply this to that moment. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes down looking like tongues of fire. The sound of what sounds like a violent wind blowing through the room. People are filled with joy, excitement. They're praising God in languages they don't even know. 3,000 families come to faith. Is that a revival? The answer is, by itself, no. No, it's not. It's an amazing moment. It's a breakthrough, but by itself, it's not because what makes a revival a revival is that it's established a new normal. What makes it a revival is that in Acts chapter 3, more people are getting healed. What happens is in Acts chapter 4, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit again. What happens in Acts chapter 4, 5, and 6, more people are added to their numbers. And if you go all the way through the 38-year recorded history of Acts, you will see everything really essentially that's happening in Acts 2 continues to happen. It's a new normal the kingdom, of God have, uh, the kingdom of God has come. Jesus has risen. The Spirit is here. People are being healed. People are coming to faith. The, the gospel is spreading, not just through the mouths of the apostles, but through ordinary, unnamed people like you and me. That, my friends, is why it's a revival. Because a new expectancy. Miracles weren't just for the, for the apostles in Jerusalem. Miracles are for us here in Ephesus, in Rome, in Corinth. Miracles are not just for the early Testament, the New Testament period, to establish the veracity of the early church's claims. Miracles are for Carlsbad, Calvary Chapel, 2020, right now. That is why we need revival because we begin to think that was good then, but now it's, well, you know, we got iPhones and we're not going to have any more miracles because this is, is enough of a miracle. <laughs> and when I say normal, what am I talking about? Normal, what is normal? That's a sort of like a qualitative term. What am I talking about? Normal 
by New Testament standards. So that means what we read happening in here is revived, meaning it is normal here in this room and in your life once again. It is normal to see people healed. It becomes normal to see crowds of people coming to faith. It is normal to see people reaching across racial lines in radical ways like the Jews of the New Testament era reaching Gentiles, like Peter in Cornelius' home, like going into Joan's home, like she talked about. It becomes normal. All right. How about the last line right here, okay? Last line. Of kingdom experience and fruitfulness, right here. This is where we conclude, and this is so good because when there are times of revival, they're going to have these two elements that are a little bit dicey for us, and this is where I want to share a story with you. But when there's times of revival, revivals first are fueled by people having experiences with God. And I know that makes some of you uncomfortable, and I'm saying it this way on purpose, but we're going to unpack it. Meaning people are encountering God. They're not just hearing about God. They're not just learning about God. But there is an intuitive, visceral, emotional, physical, relational, intellectual, psychological encounter with God. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying here? You're going to, as a Psalm 34 says, you're going to... Psalm 34 says we're going to... Uh, yeah, 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 we're going to taste and see, you know? He does not say we are going to learn and deduce. We are going to reason and intellectualize. No, don't get me wrong. I am not poo-pooing that because we need to have our minds alert and informed by the Word of God, but it's the power of God that allows us to experience it. So the Holy Spirit energizes us with power to feel hope stirring in our hearts. That's Romans. Empowered by the Spirit with the hope of God. To feel it, to taste it, to know it. Experiencing God is so important. Let's know how Tim Keller talks about this. Tim Keller says this. He says, personal gospel renewal means the gospel doctrines of sin and grace are actually experienced. I feel my disgust and my discontent with sin in my life now. I am tired of it. I am sick of it. And God, I want your grace in my life now. You feel it. I'm tired. In Spanish, I am, I love this word, enfadado. Don't you just, doesn't that sound good? I am just enfadado with my sin. I'm tired of it. I'm just, I've had it. I want your grace, God. And the resulting experience of grace creates emotional, sometimes emotional, physical responses that are a little bit surprising. Okay, let me give you two examples because experiencing God is what creates like this magnetic, radiating attraction in the people of God. So the world sees that and wants to know Jesus. But it can be scary. It can be unnerving to experience God. I was at a UCLA retreat 
And I invited my friend to come talk about Jesus and his power to heal. But before we talked about Jesus and his healing power, for two messages, Friday night, Saturday morning, I talked about the gospel. I just talked about scripture, Jesus' desire to, to forgive us of our sin, to bring us into really close relationship with the Father. I'm talking about all this. And then I told him, but it's not enough just to hear about it. Who wants to experience God's good news? Everyone raise their hand. All these UCLA students. Yeah, me, 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 me. I want to experience that. I said, okay, tonight you're going to experience it for yourself. And they're like, oh, okay. So that night I got my friend Josh Brown. He's a PhD. He's a professor at the University of Indiana. He's the head of the Cog Sci department. I'm going to have him come and hang out with us someday. You'll see. And he was teaching about his own experience of being healed of a brain tumor. And he was talking about on that journey of getting healed, he developed, a, he fell into this ministry of healing prayer. And all throughout the world, he traveled and prayed and seen people healed of blindness and cancer and all kinds. He's actually right now writing scientific journals documenting the veracity, the scientific veracity of healing. Right now, it's so cool. So he's talking to them in his PhD cog sci way about healing, right? And um, he's like, right now, are you guys ready? Who wants to experience God's healing? Do you want God to heal you? And people started yeah, raising their hands, like, okay, stand up, put your hand where your place where you need to be healed. And he started ministering Jesus' healing power to people, started praying for people. People start getting healed. They're crying. They're like, oh my gosh, I have not, this one guy is like, I have not been able to breathe. He's like crying. He's shouting, I have not been able to breathe like this since I was a little kid. People that walked in with crutches are like jumping up and down on the leg that they were hobbling on. They're taking off the brace. And I don't recommend just doing that for fun, but they, you know, they really experience some kind of healing. And people are crying, they're laughing. They're, so, they're not like doing these weird spiritual things. They're having emotional reactions to the experience of God's love in their body. But I notice that some people are going outside. Now, this is what I want you to hear. I go outside it's cold, it's dark, and I see students kind of walking around. I see this one gal, UCLA student, sitting on a bench, and I walk over to her, and she's just sitting there, curled up, her knees pulled up, and I go, are you okay? How are you feeling? And she's like, that was really scary. I go, okay, sweetie, just talk to me about it. What was scary? I have never seen God do that. I have never experienced that, and she's got tears in her eyes. I go, okay, that makes sense. That would be scary. Did my friend say anything that you felt like was off or weird? She's like, no. Did he do anything that felt threatening? No, not at all. So what do you think was happening? I just have never experienced God like that. I said, asked her, do you know Jesus? And she's like, I do. Did that, is there anything about what was happening in there that contradicted what you know of Jesus in the Bible? And she's like, No. Do you want to let what Jesus was doing in there happen in you and through you? And she just nodded. Yeah, I do. I think sometimes, okay, let me give you another metaphor. If you're swimming in the ocean, you're going out for a little swim in the summer, 75 degrees, it's beautiful, it's warm, sun's sparkling off the waters. You're swimming out there. You're maybe going out for a surf, and you see this dark shadow under the water, and right next to you services a blue whale, a blue whale, the biggest whales of them all. How many of you here would not have your breath taken away? How many of you here would not be a little scared? Anyone here? 
How would you feel if you're swimming in a blue whale? I don't know, how long are those things? Anybody know? 60 feet? A 60-foot blue whale swims out right next to you. How many of you would be like, oh, cool, blue whale. What's up, little guy? And just give it a little pat. How many of us would be a little freaked out, raise your hands, a little uncomfortable, a little unnerved? Why? Why? You know it's a baleen animal. You know it doesn't have teeth, but you would be scared. Why? Because when we're in the presence of something bigger and more powerful than us, it takes our breath away. And in times of revival, we experience God, the bigness of God, the immediate presence of God, not here and here simply, but here. And in here, it's scary. But you guys, this is what, when we are tasting and seeing the goodness of God, it, it radiates from us. And when it radiates from us, we see a fruitfulness in the world that all of our programs, all of our rad events and candy and free VG donuts cannot mimic. Don't get me wrong. Our church does a lot of great events and we should keep doing those. But when we rely on those events alone to substitute for the radiance of God in our life because we are tasting and seeing him firsthand through word, deed, and power in us. You guys, that's when we need revival because we get there. You and me, we get to a place where we get comfortable just hearing about God, listening to people talk about God. We get bored. We sit in here and we're bored and we think, oh, because religion is boring, because Christianity is boring. And you don't realize it is because you have settled for a little part of God and you've been unwilling to let God introduce you to the bigger picture of who he is. This is the good news. If you're bored right now, you're like, I don't want to just hear about this. I want to taste it. Then revival is a concept you need to look into. I think that's my cue. I want to invite the band to come on out. <laughs> I planted that person out there. Don't worry. <laughs> As the band comes out, I want to just lead us into a, a time of prayer. But as we're going into this prayer, I want you to reflect. What does this idea of revival mean to you personally? What about it excites you, makes you curious? What about it makes you uncomfortable, makes you maybe a little skeptical? You get a little, you know, a little bit squinty-eyed about it. I'm not so sure what this guy is saying and that you need to dig deeper and investigate. I want to ask you this morning, as you're hearing what I'm saying to you, what is your internal reaction? And I want you to reflect and put a finger on it. And when, I, when the band's done, I'm going to come back out. I'm going to guide us in how to respond this week. But let's come before God. The goodness of God, again. When the people of God just like wake up and go, dude, I don't want to hear about God. I want to taste God. I want to know that he is good in my life. You are honoring the heart of God. You're not sensationalizing God. God wants to be tasted. He wants to be seen. And he wants your joy to be real and felt. And he wants it to overflow. And when it does, the fruitfulness in the world is unparalleled. Verse 47 and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. What would it be like for it to be normal for us daily, weekly, to be experiencing, tasting, and seeing the goodness of God in our life? To see people being added to our numbers every week. To see a revival on our high schools, on our water polo team, 
places that we've written off. Like, God, you can't work there. You can't use me. Times of revival where God blows out all those boundaries, all those do not enter yellow tapes. And he's like, we're going there. I'm going into your family. I'm going to go into your team. I'm going to go into your school. I'm going to go into your church, into your neighborhood. I'm going to go to your office. There's no off limits. In times of revival, the the tide of God's presence overflows all boundaries and goes into places that maybe we aren't that comfortable. But it begins with us saying, God, I want to just let you show up in my life, on my team, in my family. I don't want to hold you off. And we begin to say, God, I want to experience you here. I want to see you here. Man, you guys, when that happens, it shakes the world and changes the world. But you know what? It's got to start here, right here with you and me. So let's just offer ourselves to God and I'll dismiss us. God, we open ourselves to you. Let it begin here. Let it begin with each one of us individually, this week, help us to talk to each other about revival and go, what does this mean for us? And talk to you. And in Jesus' name, amen. If you want to go deeper, if this has provoked you, go get that book I wrote because it's going to walk you through the scriptures at a deeper level, through history and through personal experience. I want to encourage you. Let God take you deeper in this. All right, bless you. Have a good week. Thanks for listening this week. If you're looking for ways to serve, give, or get connected, please visit our website, northcoastcalvary.org.